The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Family Matters with your host, Dr. Virginia Collin. In this program, we will explore some of the challenges families face and the solutions they create in today's world where marriage, parenting, and family forms are not what they once were. Now, here is Dr. Virginia Collin. Welcome to Family Matters. I'm your host, Virginia Collin. My guest today is Michelle Winters, who is a pediatric sleep consultant, and we'll talk more about her training and credentials later. She helps parents create gentle, respectful methods for getting their children sleeping on a schedule that works well for the whole family. You can find her online at sleepwellsleepsolutions.com. All one word, sleepwellsleepsolutions.com. Michelle, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me, Virginia. It's great to have you here. I think that I will probably learn a few things tonight, despite having already raised a few kids. <laughs> what tell me, tell me, what got you started down this road? Why did you beco- decide to become a sleep consultant? Sure. Well, I always loved working with kids. I was actually working in a Montessori preschool, and my daughter was a great sleeper. And then my son came along a couple years later, and he was a horrible sleeper. And so I signed up for some newsletters from different sleep coaches, and one in my area started a sleep coach training program when my son was three years old and still not sleeping through the night. Um, And I decided to sign up for it. I knew what other parents were going through with the sleepless nights where you just can't get a whole night's sleep, and I really wanted to help people. That does sound like a lot of sleep deprivation. Seriously, yes. three years. <laughs> yes, and wow. when I signed up for the training program, I did get him sleeping through the night, and he's seven now, and he's a great sleeper. Excellent. <laughs> Excellent. So, um, I so I guess that means it's about three or four years you've been coaching other parents about helping their kids sleep well? Yes. Yeah, I've been doing it full-time for about two years now. Um, I was still working part-time at the Montessori School, which was good because I was still getting to see kids in Mm -hmm. action during the day who were sleep-deprived. Okay. (laughs) Yeah, sleep-deprived kids are not the most fun. Right. So what kind of difficulty do people most often contact you for help with? I think most of it is just kids waking up during the night, um, which goes back to how things go at bedtime and how things go during the day, too. Because if children are at the age where they should be napping and they're not napping or they're not taking good naps during the day, it can actually negatively affect nighttime sleep. Even though you think, oh, they're not sleeping during the day, they're going to sleep really well tonight, 
the opposite is really true. Once children are overtired, their sleep gets worse. And so it becomes this vicious cycle that keeps going and going. I see. And how do you, what do you tell the parent to do in that situation? Right. So first thing I like parents to do is make sure the children are napping enough during the day, however you can get the naps. Um, You know, if you need to put them in the car, that motion sleep is not as good as sleep in the crib, but it's better than no sleep at all. Um, A lot of times children don't nap because they're overtired when the parents are putting them down to nap. So I like to have parents looking, watching the clock as well as their child's signs to make sure they're getting them to nap before they get overtired. Often, a lot of times, too, I recommend moving the bedtime a little earlier because if they're not sleeping well during the day, we want to try to get them to bed early at night. Sometimes that concerns parents because they don't want too early of a wake-up in the morning But that's a lot easier to handle if you've got a well-rested child to start moving the bedtime later and wake up in the morning later. If you've got an overtired child, it's impossible to do that. Okay, so let's pretend that I'm a first-time mom or dad. Um, I've got a baby, and he's six months old now, certainly not sleeping through the night. Sometimes, (laughs) you know, naps are really inconsistent. What what behavior, what signals should I be looking for so that I can make a good call about when it's time to put him down for a nap or for sure. the night? So at six months, usually they're taking two naps. Sometimes they're taking three. Um, if they're on a two-nap schedule, I like to start the first nap. I like to have them asleep within about two hours from wake-up time, but also watching the child again. So if they seem to be getting tired, if they're rubbing their eyes, they're starting to yawn, um, some kids just kind of get cranky, then you want to get them down quickly. Some kids, once you see that first yawn, they're already overtired, especially those kids that are really alert and are watching everything. They can really hide those signs really well. So you really want to try to go by the clock then more because you want to get them down before they're overtired. Um, usually the second nap is about three hours after they wake from the first, and then bedtime is usually around four hours later for children on a two-nap schedule. Now, with that six-month-old, sometimes they do need a third afternoon nap, which would probably be like halfway between the second nap and bedtime. And it may just be a short little nap just to get them through so they're not overtired at bedtime. Do you actually advise parents to wake them up from a late nap so that they will be tired again at bedtime? Occasionally, depending on the length of the nap. Um, Normally, I say if they're sleeping, let them sleep. If it becomes a problem where they see that the child is sleeping late and then bedtime is becoming a big struggle, then I would recommend shortening the nap to about 45 minutes. That's like a complete sleep cycle during the day. Um, so you don't want to do it too much shorter than 45 minutes. Okay. So we kind of skipped over something in the story that you were telling about your son. You know, he wasn't sleeping through the night. He was three years old, so you got some training. Are you happy to tell what worked with him? 
Sure, sure. And actually, I tell my clients it was really easy by the time he was three. So if you want to wait three years, sometimes it's not that big a deal. Um, but who wants to go through three years of separate of sleep deprivation? And sometimes it's not as easy as he was. Luckily with him, he was already falling asleep on his own at bedtime. And that's another big key to waking up during the night. If children don't know how to fall asleep on their own at bedtime, when they have partial awakenings during the night, which we all actually do, none of us sleeps all through the night, um, they need that help back to go back to sleep. So luckily with him, that wasn't the case. He knew how to put himself to sleep. It was just in the middle of the night, he needed a hug and a blanket cover up and from one to three times every night (laughs) I had to do that. So what we did with him was we created a sleep matter chart. We outlined the behaviors we wanted from him, like put yourself back to sleep in the middle of the night, and he would get a sticker when he followed that manner. At the end of the week, for him, if he had a certain number of stickers, he'd get a matchbox car. Those were what he loved when he was three. He actually slept with matchbox cars, which I don't recommend for safety reasons, Um, But that really was what got him to buy into, okay, I can do this, and I don't need mommy every night. Got it. Simple behavior modification. Right, yes. (laughs) The behavior that gets gets rewarded tends to increase. Right, right. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. Okay, so you've mentioned... um, Waking up in the middle of the night, having partial awakenings, and being able to fall asleep alone. Right. Let's say, again, I'm a young parent with my first baby, and I've been nursing the baby to sleep for these first six months. The baby's never fallen asleep, practically never fallen asleep any other way, certainly not at night. How do you help parents help their babies make that transition? Sure, and that is a very common one. Um, So the first thing I like to do is make sure the baby is comfortable in the crib during the day when it's not sleep time. A lot of us, when we have babies, we're only in their rooms for diaper changes and putting them to sleep. I want people to be playing in their room. You know, calm play, but you want those babies to feel comfortable in their room and in their crib Because if you're going to start putting them down awake when the only time they've been in that crib is when they wake up in the middle of the night all by themselves, it's not going to go too well usually. Um, So that's really the first thing I like parents to do, just to kind of get the baby comfortable being in the room awake, being in the crib awake. Um, And then, you know, there's a couple different methods depending on what the parents want. A lot of times I'll have the parents stop nursing maybe wake up the baby and put them in the crib awake and then just sit right there or stand right there and soothe them. Um, It really depends on the parent what method I choose and what the baby's personality is like. And I really believe I give the parents choices because they know their baby best. Some babies get really mad if you're standing in the room with them and you're not picking them up. Other babies are more comforted by the parents being there and singing to them or shushing them and calming them. So it depends on the parents and the child which way we go. I like to go more gentle ways rather than just putting them in the crib and leaving. I feel, you know, some babies it works for, some it doesn't. 
Um, I like bedtime to be a positive experience for babies and parents alike. Um, sleep is so important. You know, I would never say you're in trouble now, you have to eat vegetables because that's your punishment. So I don't like sleep to be a punishment either. I like it to be a positive experience. Yeah, I see. So, And if you catch the child at the right moment, then going to sleep is going to feel good. Right. And that's the other thing, too, looking at the parent's scheduling, making sure bedtime's not too late, um, doing things like that. And I will say that my daughter, I nursed her to sleep, and she started sleeping through the night, and I never had to do anything. So if it's not a problem... There's nothing wrong with nursing your child to sleep or bottle feeding them to sleep. It's just when it becomes that that's the only way they can fall asleep and they can't sleep through the night without you coming in and doing that again for them. Got it. So what other common problems do people call you about? Sure. I get, um, I've been getting a lot of toddler issues lately um, and a lot of the toddler bedtime issues are kind of control issues. You know, the toddlers are wanting to see what they can control and what they can't control. So I like parents to give the toddlers some control over bedtime. Let them pick two or, you know, give them two or three choices of pajamas. Which pajama do you want to wear tonight? Um, You know, let them pick out their books. Give them some kind of control over the bedtime, and that may make things a little easier for you. Um, And the other thing is to really plan ahead and think about what your toddler can ask for and stall for, like an extra glass of water, something like that, and have your plan in the back of your mind before bedtime so you know what your answer is going to be. Um, you know, if you say no more glasses of water, no more glasses of water, no more glasses of water, and then eventually cave in and give them a glass of water, you're going to have trouble the next time you try to say no to them for something because they're going to keep pushing and keep pushing because they're going to know one time you gave in. So really planning beforehand um, is good with those toddler preschool ages that are really trying to push their limits and see what they can get away with. I see. Then, you know, the babies that have just never fallen asleep without a bottle, without being nursed to sleep. Um, And you can even, sometimes I have my clients where instead of putting them down awake in the crib, maybe they'll hold them and let them fall asleep in their arms, but they're not being nursed to sleep. So there's a lot of different variations you can take to make it more gradual if that's how you want to go with it. Is it? Pretty much the same advice if the baby is accustomed to being rocked to sleep in a rocking chair or just with the parent walking around the room and you want to transition away from that, you want the baby to become a little more independent about falling to sleep? Sure, yeah. A lot of times I'll do, you know, rock for a second or two and then stop. Rock for a second or two and stop. It depends on, you know, how slowly the parents want to go. A lot of my parents that come to me do want really gentle methods, and they don't want a lot of crying. So we do tend to go slower than if they, you know, if they were okay with more crying. Um, So, you know, or instead of walking around the house, stay in the baby's room and walk around the baby's room and then gradually get to where you can sit down. Um, 
So you can do those things as well rather than just going to straight from rocking or walking around the room to putting the baby straight in the crib awake. I see. This is probably a good time. We're a little ahead of schedule, but this is probably a good time to go to break. And I'll be back with Michelle Winters, pediatric sleep consultant, in a couple of minutes. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. Most adults are able to make good decisions about how their families can move forward. They do not need to rely on courts to make such decisions, especially in cases of divorce. Far too many people suffer unnecessary anguish because they do not know what family mediators can do. We help people discuss problems constructively in a private, confidential setting. We help them stop fighting and stay out of court. To learn more about mediation and other family matters, Visit ColinFamilyMediationGroup.com. Colin has one L and no S. Are you struggling with emotional, financial, and legal stress related to divorce? The Guide to Low-Cost Divorce in Virginia by Virginia Collin and Rebecca Martin teaches how to handle these processes in any state with special attention to Virginia's laws. This book can help you take care of yourself get free legal advice, develop a good co-parenting plan, keep expenses down, and arrange a do-it-yourself divorce. The Guide to Low-Cost Divorce in Virginia is available from Amazon for just $4.99. No one can tell you how much money you'll have or when you'll see your children, right? Wrong. It happens every day in divorce court. Don't let it happen to you. When dealing with separation, divorce, co-parenting, or care of an elderly relative, there is a better way. Mediation. Save time, save money, and save your children. To learn more, visit the Academy of Professional Family Mediators at apfmnet.org. That's apfmnet.org. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one Internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com You are listening to Family Matters. To reach Dr. Virginia Collin or today's guest, please call into the program at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. You may also send an email to radio show at com. Now, back to Family Matters. Welcome back to Family Matters. I'm your host, Virginia Collin. My guest today is Michelle Winters, who is a pediatric sleep consultant. She helps parents help their babies and little children get to sleep so the whole family can rest well. You can find her online at www.sleepwellsleepsolutions.com. During the break, Michelle and I were talking a little bit about some families she's worked with recently. Michelle, I would love it if you would just tell us a story or two. Sure, sure. So one um, family I worked with, I actually worked 
with the two older girls, and then I started working with the baby pretty early on. Um, and the challenges with her were because there were two older girls in the house, the mom had to run around with the older girls, and the baby couldn't always be at home for naps. So we had to do a lot of playing around with her naps. She got a lot of motion naps and car naps because mom had to take the older girls to school and pick them up from school. And that's something that's common that happens when there's more than one child. Um, so, again, you know, car naps are okay. They're not as good as crib naps or naps where there's not motion, but, again, they're better than nothing. Um, so uh, probably when she was about nine months old, she was still not sleeping that great, and another one of her issues was she was in mom and dad's room. They, did, they were going to move her in with the other two girls, but they didn't have, they wanted her sleeping first. Um, mom worked a couple nights a week, so that dad was home alone with all three girls. So he, we spent a lot of time just using a lot of crutches for her to sleep. So they would put her in the carrier and walk her to get her to sleep just so dad can take care of the older two girls. Um, so we worked a lot with that, too, because sometimes you can't have the ideal situation where you can put the baby down stay in the room while they fall asleep when you've got other kids to take care of. Um, And then she started standing in the crib, which presented another problem. Um, And if you have a child that's standing, make sure during the day you work on them getting down from standing safely. Because once your child starts standing up in the crib, a lot of times they won't get down or they can't get down without hurting themselves. So, again, that's something we worked on during the day. We played Ring Around the Rosie with her to get her used to getting down from a standing position. Um, Mom started working really at bedtime first and still nursed her during the night at wake-ups. Sometimes you can only work at bedtime with putting the child down awake, and they may start sleeping through the night without you having to deal with the nighttime wake-ups. Um, it doesn't always happen, and in this case it didn't happen, but we started that way. So mom sat next to the crib with her, comforted her. If she got real upset, she'd pick her up, calm her down, put her back down, sing to her. Singing really helped with her. Um, If mom sang a song, she would really calm down. And then gradually, every few days, mom just moved a little further away from the crib. Um, you know, maybe even just a foot or two, I think she was moving. She wasn't moving that fast. So just so the little baby could get used to falling asleep without mom doing too much interaction. Um, again, mom was still nursing during the night. She was still waking up during the night, and eventually we did, or mom decided to stop nursing during the night. Um, and at that point, dad would take over. And for a while, he was still carrying her to sleep at night, so they were still using a crutch in the middle of the night, but it was a different one to get her used to not eating. Because the other problem when the child is eating a lot during the night is they get used to those calories. The doctors will tell you they don't need to eat, they're fine, but if I were to wake up and have a piece of chocolate cake at 3 a.m. every night, I would just start waking up for that chocolate cake, and there's no doctor that's going to tell me that I need that in the middle of the night. So their bodies do get used to getting those calories. So um, 
you know, I think we kept one feeding still just so the baby could eat during the night um, and dad would take over the other times. And eventually we got rid of that other feeding and eventually we started putting her down awake in the crib in the middle of the night too. So she would get used to just staying in the crib all night. And then she started sleeping through. We've had a little bit of issues with early mornings because that's another common thing that happens. Once the babies start getting 10, 11 hours of straight sleep, they do start waking early in the morning sometimes. So we've had to deal with that a little bit. Um, And still naps are not wonderful because there are the other girls in the house and trips need to be made and stuff. Um, But she's on a much better path than she would have been. (laughs) Okay. Sounds like progress. Yeah. (laughs) I, Um, I, yeah. I know that that's a challenge. You know, maybe we could talk about the simpler situation if it's just it's the second baby in coming into the family and the first baby is really still a baby, 18 right. months old. Yep. That suddenly two kids are at least four times as much work. <laughs> right. <laughs> How do you help young parents handle that adjustment and, you know, after a couple of months, not be exhausted all the time. Sure, sure, because it is hard, and it's hard especially. I do get a lot of clients, too, that have that first child. Actually, I get a lot of clients that are pregnant and still have their first child who's not sleeping through the night. So then they decide, let's get this taken care of. Um, And then I'll kind of talk about that situation first, because you do want, if you're going to make changes, you want to the first child, you want to make them either several months before the baby comes or several months after the baby comes. You don't want to time it too close to when the baby comes because you don't want the older child to associate these changes, which they may see as negative, with the younger baby. So you do want to have that in your mind. Um, And if you do have, so if you happen to have a good first sleeper, and the baby comes along, that first sleeper may have some regressions, especially if the new baby's sleeping in mom and dad's room all of a sudden, and the older one at 18 months is not going to really understand why mom and dad need the baby in their room. Um, so taking some extra time with the older one, maybe making bed t- the bedtime routine just a little bit longer, just so mom or dad can have special time with the older child. If mom can do it, especially if she's the one mostly taking care of the younger baby, that's probably a good time for older child to have some special time with mom, some nice, calming, relaxing time. And do be aware that there may be times where even if you had a good sleeper, they may be waking up in the middle of the night because they know that you've got baby in your room. Um, so I would just, you know, respond to them in a calm manner, tell them everything's okay. You may want to sit in their room with them for a little while so they can fall asleep, even if you never had to do that before. You just don't want to spend too much time. You don't want to sit next to the crib for weeks on end, or you will create a new bad habit that you'll have to break. Um, so you do want to kind of go back to normal as quickly as possible but be aware that this is a big change in your first child's life and that they may need some extra comforting. Um, For bedtime, you know, try to keep bedtime as similar as possible. 
it may not be exactly the same because now you have the second baby to take care of, especially, you know, if you're a single parent or your spouse works late into the night. Um, but try to keep, remember that your older child does need attention too, especially at bedtime. Um, you know, see if you can incorporate your newborn in the routine. Like maybe let's read books to older sibling and baby at the same time. Um, and, I, it, you know, again, if your first child is not sleeping through the night, I would try to work on that, sev- again, several months before baby comes or wait until baby's like four or five months old, um, acknowledging that you will have two children up during the night. Um, so remember that saying that when your newborn sleeps, try to sleep. Um, might not be possible with the second child, with the two children, but you do want to try to get rest for yourself as well so you can be a good parent to take care of those children. Um, you know, take any help that is given to you, that's offered to you. Um, don't be afraid to take that help. Um, and, yeah, I guess that's... <laughs> yeah. I remember that as a difficult time in my life when I had a baby who was approximately a year and a half old plus a new baby. Yeah, and I had I had huge difficulty getting the two of them to sleep at the same time so that I could sleep. Right. Yes, it was, it's very difficult. Um, you know, I like doing like baby wearing with the new babies so you can wear them while you're taking care of the toddler. Um, sometimes that helps, so the new baby might be sleeping on you while you're taking care of the toddler. Um, I know my daughter was 23 months when my son was born, and a couple months after he was born, she stopped napping. So that was fun during the day. Oh, boy. <laughs> she was about two and a half, and she decided to give up naps. Now, she was sleeping 12 straight hours at night, so she just didn't need the naps at that point, which I usually don't recommend. But once we start, once I went back to work and she started having to get up earlier in the morning, she did go back to napping. Um, but it was hard keeping her entertained and watching my son, who was a very cranky newborn. So he spent, you know, some time in the swing. You don't, you know, and also the other thing is don't compare what you did with each child. Because I know some people say, well, my older one, I was always holding him. I never had to put him in a swing or anything, and now I have to put the second one in the swing, and I feel really guilty. Don't feel guilty about it. It's a totally different situation when you have more than one child, and you need to keep your sanity. (laughs) Um, And so don't ever feel like your younger child is missing out because you're doing less with them or anything like that. Um, you know, and that's another big message, if I might go off the sleep topic a little bit, um, is for for parents to not feel guilty about choices they made or things they've done with their children. Um, I hear that a lot with the sleep coaching, actually, is that I know we, you know, the parents say, I know I've created this bad habit, I know I did this, and I feel really bad that I did this. Anything you've done with your child is most likely for love, um, you know, with their best interests at heart. So don't ever feel guilty about choices you've made or things you've done. 
anything, any of the sleep behaviors can always be undone. So don't, <laughs> I just want to put that out there for parents to not feel guilty. Okay. I think I'll chip in one error that I would encourage other families to avoid, okay. which is undoing the toddler's ability to fall asleep by himself. When I was at this stage in my life, the one who was approximately 18 months old was great about going to bed. Give him a stuffed up, a stuffed animal, give him a, a put him, give him a cuddly blanket, turn on one of those wind up musical toys that's just going to play for a couple of minutes and, you know, set him down in a dark room. He knew that set of clues that meant it's time to sleep and he went to sleep really well. And then I had another baby. <laughs> and the other baby was keeping me up till 11 o'clock, midnight. The first one was supposed to go to bed around 9 o'clock. Well, my husband also went to bed around 9 o'clock because he had to get up really early to go to work. So I think with really good intentions, just, you know, to make life more comfortable and loving for our toddler, he let the toddler lie on his big bed with him while the toddler was falling asleep. And the toddler got so used to falling asleep that way, he forgot how to fall asleep all by himself. Yes, I agree with not going back that far. <laughs> yes, and I paid for that for the next two or three years. Yes, toddler, you know, it's, Normally, the easiest age to change sleep behavior is between six and nine months old. Once you start getting to the 12-month mark, that first of all, they're standing in the crib, they have separation anxiety going on, um, and then once you get to the toddler age, they can call you. One of my clients would say, she was about two years old, and she would call her parents and say, I need you, I need you well, how can you say no to that? <laughs> you know, you probably, you may have, they actually taught her if they, if she needed them to say, I need you. Was, she started doing that at bedtime and all through the night. Um, so it does get more difficult as they get older. Like I said, until they're about three or four and then you can reason with them and sometimes <laughs> it works better. <laughs> um, but it is, I mean, it's not, it's not impossible at any age. Um, so there are just, there's different challenges at each age, I guess I would say. And the younger ones are teething too. So then you don't know if they're in pain that they're waking up. So it's never, it's never easy, unfortunately. That's true. The teething does really throw a monkey wrench into, yes. into whatever bedtime routines you're trying to develop. And I will say about teething, a lot of people will say if they're not bothered during the day, then it's not teething at night. But I don't totally agree with that because if I have a mosquito bite on my leg, we live in the woods, so we get I get those often. <laughs> okay. Um, I can go all day without it bothering me because I'm paying attention to other things. I lie down at night and try to fall asleep, and I'm scratching my leg off. So, and then if I wake up in the middle of the night, it's bothering me more. So I think that teething, you know, it still makes sense to me that they could be waking up during the night because they're in pain from teething 
even if they don't show a lot of signs of being in pain during the day because they're active, they're looking around, they've got other things to pay attention to. Got it. That does make a lot of sense, and probably it's something that people might not normally think of. Right. Um, We've got a couple minutes left before our next break. Is that enough time for you to tell me about the three-year-old you mentioned who was still using a bottle to help him fall asleep? Sure. Yeah, I think so. Okay. We could do that. Let's try. Yeah. (laughs) So I had a client with a three-year-old who was still taking bottles during the night, which Again, there are a couple things. With a three-year-old, they have teeth. You don't want to be letting them fall asleep with milk on their teeth. You want to be brushing their teeth. Um, And there was a new baby coming, too. So then mom was going to have to wake up with three-year-old for bottles and feeding the baby. So we needed to work on that. Um, We did, with the older kids, I like to do a family meeting where the parents sit down with the child, three, four, five-year-olds this works with and explain to them why they need to make these changes. Um, Again, with eating all night, I like to go on a more gradual thing, even for a three-year-old, because if they're getting three six-ounce bottles during the night, I mean, they're getting a lot of calories during the night. Mm -hmm. So we started cutting back the amount of ounces in the bottle gradually, um, until so then their body was getting used to getting less calories and less calories at night. In the meantime, we were also implementing a sicker chart, um, and we also did, you know, talking to them about things. We also used a clock that changes colors, and I love using these, and my 7- and 9-year-olds still have this clock that changes colors. It changes green when they're allowed to wake up in the morning. And that way, children can visually see it's still nighttime. I don't get my bottle or whatever until the clock changes colors. Because most children don't know the difference between 5 a.m. and 7 a.m., especially if it's getting light at 5 a.m. So I do like using the clocks that change colors for a visual reminder. And it makes it a little easier on the parents, too, because they can blame the clock. Like, well, the clock says I'm not allowed to give you the bottle, Um, which sometimes makes it easier to explain. Um, So we cut back gradually. We did the clock. We did the sticker manner chart. Um, Mom was still getting in bed with him and lying with him instead of giving him the bottles because she didn't want to take that away because she was having another baby. Um, So gradually that lessened as he started falling asleep on his own at bedtime because he was also sleeping with the bottle at bedtime. So we took that away. We started giving him a straw cup instead of a bottle. Um, So there was less of that sucking sensation which is another big um, sleep crutch. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, and then he started sleeping. And then I also worked with his brother, too, that came along <laughs> later. All right, we'll, we'll save the brother for another time because yeah. <laughs> right now we're going to go to break. Stimulating talk it gets those synapses in the brain inspired really fast. All the time. The number one Internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com No one can tell you how much money you'll have or when you'll see your children, right? Wrong. It happens every day in divorce court. Don't let it happen to you. When dealing with separation, divorce, co-parenting, or care of an elderly relative, there is a better way. Mediation. Save time, save money, and save your children. 
To learn more, visit the Academy of Professional Family Mediators at apfmnet.org. That's apfmnet.org. Most adults are able to make good decisions about how their families can move forward. They do not need to rely on courts to make such decisions, especially in cases of divorce. Far too many people suffer unnecessary anguish because they do not know what family mediators can do. We help people discuss problems constructively in a private, confidential setting. We help them stop fighting and stay out of court. To learn more about mediation and other family matters, visit ColinFamilyMediationGroup.com. Colin has one L and no S. Are you struggling with emotional, financial, and legal stress related to divorce? The Guide to Low-Cost Divorce in Virginia by Virginia Collin and Rebecca Martin teaches how to handle these processes in any state with special attention to Virginia's laws. This book can help you take care of yourself, get free legal advice, develop a good co-parenting plan, keep expenses down, and arrange a do-it-yourself divorce. The Guide to Low-Cost Divorce in Virginia is available from Amazon for just $4.99. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. listening to Family Matters. To reach Dr. Virginia Collin or today's guest, please call into the program at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. You may also send an email to radio show at collinfamilymediationgroup.com. Now, back to Family Matters. Welcome back to Family Matters. I'm your host, Virginia Collin, and my guest today is pediatric sleep consultant, Michelle Winters. You can find her online at sleepwellsleepsolutions.com. We were just talking during the break about parents who dread bedtime. So, Michelle, tell us what what are just sort of the basics about Making it, making having family habits so that you don't have to be worried about bedtime and the transition is likely to happen smoothly. Sure. So the first thing is to try to relax. And I know that's not always possible in today's world. Um, you know, some parents are getting right home from work and then they're making dinner and then they're going right into the bedtime routine. Um, if you can have some kind of separation, that's great. Um, if you can dim the lights about an hour before your child is supposed to be asleep, that's a great thing to do. That signals the body to start producing melatonin, which is a calming hormone, and that's part of a good bedtime is darkness. Um, baths, you know, a lot of people say they should be part of the bedtime routine, and I know a lot of people like to do the bath at night because it washes off the germs and everything that the child's been into during the day. But baths don't have to be part of the bedtime routine. Um, You know, I have had one or two clients that say their child does relax in the bath, but usually children are kind of worked up and it's a fun playtime. 
Um, the lights in the bathroom are usually pretty bright, although I did have one client who had a dimmer switch in their bathroom. So we started dimming the lights for bath time just to help that bedtime transition. Um, so then most of the rest of the bedtime routine should take place in the child's room. Now, if you have two children, if you want to do it in a central area or in one of the child's bed, bedrooms, that's fine. Um, you know, I like a book or two to be in part of the bedtime routine, but if your child, especially a young child, like a six, seven-month-old, they might just rather a similar song that you sing every time. Um, something kind of consistent, especially with a child that young. I also like to use the same words, like goodnight, mommy loves you, it's sleepy time, something like that. And using those words over and over, again, signals the body that it's time for bed. Um, Again, at this point, you do want to be trying to relax. If you're dreading bedtime, if you're like, oh, I don't know if this is going to take two hours or 15 minutes, and you're kind of stressing yourself out, your child can pick up on that. And then your child just knows mommy's stressed at bedtime, so something's wrong. Um, You know, they don't understand why that it's their behavior that's stressing you out. Um, So, again, try to relax. Um, You know, the bedtime book, songs, um, if you are feeding them, I would feed them in their room you know, a bottle or nursing. Um, That way they get used to the whole routine happening in their room. Um, And again, it's a good time for them to get used to being in their room as a nice, calm place. Okay. Um, That sounds like a good set of fundamentals. Oh, another one. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Try to keep, you know, the wrestling and the tickle fights out of bedtime. I know it's really tempting, and especially for those parents that don't see their children a lot during the day. Um, The real issue with it is those tickle fights and wrestling raises our internal temperature, and our internal temperature actually um, decreases when we're sleeping at night. And so if it's raised, our body has to work harder to decrease it, and our sleep is actually not as restorative and it may give children more trouble falling asleep. Um, That also brings me to ideal sleeping temperature should be around 68 to 72, or 65 actually, the 72 degrees. Um, You want the room on the cooler side because of that internal temperature dropping. If it's a hot room, again, our body has to work harder to decrease our temperature and our sleep is not as restorative. And that's for adults too. Okay. I have a couple more questions that I hope we'll have time to discuss. The first one is about co-sleeping. I know a lot of parents, especially when the baby is a very young baby who's waking up frequently during the night, decide really what's simplest is to just let the baby sleep in the parent's bed. Everybody gets more sleep that way. What are your thoughts about that and about Um, transitioning out of that if you do start that way? Sure. So I do want to warn that American, of Ke- American Academy of Pediatrics does recommend room sharing but not bed sharing. Um, there are ways, there are recommendations if you are going to bed share to make it safe, like you should have the mattress on the floor, you shouldn't have any pillows or fuzzy blankets, thick blankets that the child can get trapped in. So do, if you do want to co-sleep, especially with a newborn that can't move around, 
make sure you research safe co-sleeping practices so that you're not putting your baby in possible harm. Um, there are co-sleepers that attach to the sides of the bed that I really like, so that way baby has its own safe spot. You can still have your blankets and pillows in your bed, but you're close enough that you can put your arm on the baby if they wake up and comfort them that way or just pull them right into your bed to feed them and then put them back in there. Um, a lot of times when I work with co-sleeping clients who decide that it's not for them for whatever reason, sometimes no one's really sleeping very well, um, I'll have mom or dad actually put a mattress in the baby's room or child's room and start co-sleeping in their room first. So they're still co-sleeping, but baby's getting used to sleeping in their own room. Um, And then put baby in their crib or bed, whatever the situation may be, and maybe mom or dad still sleeps on that mattress in the room, so they're still right there. And then gradually take the, you know, not gradually, but take the mattress away and then mom or dad can start gradually leaving the room more. Um, so that way it's a nice, gentle transition. Okay. We have a lot of parents, uh, a lot of babies in the United States now who have parents in two different homes. Sometimes it's because the parents never married each other. I think somewhere between 40 and 50% of the babies born in the United States now are born to people who are not married. Um, and sometimes it's because of separation or or divorce or separation that's heading for divorce. So sometimes babies are spending half of the week at mom's house and half of the week at dad's house or, you know, five days with mom and weekends with dad or whatever. There are lots of variations. But what advice do you have for parents when a child, a baby or a toddler or a preschooler, has to get used to sleeping in two different homes. Sure. So that is a very common one. Um, And first, I would encourage the parents to have open communication, which I know is not always the case, but really try to keep baby-child on the same schedule. Even if you're not happy with the other parent's schedule, like baby goes to bed too early or something, to keep that consistency is really good for the child. Um, I like to use, and this is with traveling too actually, make sure both sets of sheets on beds are the same. If they can be washed in the same detergent, that's even better. That way there's those familiar smells for baby or child at each place. Um, I also encourage that both houses have the same kind of bed So whether it's a twin bed, a full bed, a crib, a toddler bed, it's the same in both places, just for that consistency again. Um, The parents can have a different kind of bedtime, like one may read books, one may sing songs, and that's fine. You want to do what's personal to you. Um, But again, try to do it in the same kind of way that the other parent does it. So if they give a bottle and then they sing a song, then you would give a bottle and then read a book or something like that. Um, I like babies over six months to have some kind of lovey, um, you know, American Academy of Pediatrics does recommend not putting anything in the crib until they're 12 months. Um, So I do have to put that out there. Some of my clients will choose to have a small little toy, 
small little stuffed animal or something in a baby's bed that's over six months, but definitely over 12 months you could do it. And make sure that the child brings whatever that is that they're used to sleeping with to both homes. You don't want to get to one of the homes and not have that. Um, If baby sleeps with white noise at one house, there should be a white noise machine at the other house. Um, You know, if you can set the rooms up to be similar looking, that would be ideal also. Um, And, you know, just, again, try to relax at bedtime. It may be hard on baby the first couple nights when they're sleeping in a different environment, but hopefully after time and after consistent see that they will get used to sleeping in either home equally well. Okay. I like to make sure that it's easy for people to understand what we're talking about. So you mentioned it's good for the child to have a lovey that they can take from house to house. We're talking about a teddy bear or a special cuddly blanket or something Mm -hmm. like that? Yep, anything like that. Um, You know, if it's a young baby, you do want to have something pretty small. Um, Some parents will get concerned, like, I don't want my child dragging around a teddy bear until they're 15. Um, So you can make limits. You can impose limits on it right away. Like, this is only for sleeping. It doesn't come out of the crib or it doesn't come out of the bed or whatever. Um, My kids are seven and nine right now, and they might kill me for this, but they still sleep with their blankets that they had when they were babies. Um, You know, it's just that comfort. It You know, sometimes it smells like mom's. You know, it's a very familiar smell, and it's a familiar touch, too. Sometimes just the touch of something can help them soothe themselves in the night. So that's why I really like having children have something like that where it's a consistent thing that's always in their crib or bed. Um, I would recommend having more than one of them and equally switching them out and washing them because if the child only uses one and there's one backup, they'll know if that gets switched out if it almost never gets switched out. <laughs> they'll know that you know its ears aren't quite the same or something's a little off. So I do recommend having a couple of them and washing them uh, sporadically. Okay, got it. Uh, We just have a minute or so left, and I do want to let people know that it is possible for them to get in touch with you if they want to consult you individually about what's going to work for them and their children in their family. I understand that you work with people, you meet face-to-face with people in the Washington, D.C. metro area. Are you also available for people who who are elsewhere? Yes, I've actually, I've had a client in Canada. That was my first international client. Um, I can do Skype consultations or just plain phone consultations. Um, pretty much anywhere you are, um, I can help with that. I do offer a free 15-minute phone call, so if you just kind of want to, you're not sure about hiring a sleep consultant, you know, we can kind of chat about your situation and what I could offer. Um, And then I'd love to be able to help more people. Okay, sounds good. Um, this I'm talking with Michelle Winters. You can find her online at sleepwellsleepsolutions.com. In our last 30 seconds, Michelle, would you like to share any thoughts about siblings who share a bedroom? 
Um, I do like white noise for that situation because it can drown out the other child's noises. Um, If you're putting two children together and one is a better sleeper, I would move that better sleeper out first and put the new child in the room um, so they get used to the room and then move the better sleeper back in. It's easier to do it that way. Okay. Well, thanks very much for all the good information and good advice. Thank you for having me. Bye. Thank you for joining us this week on Family Matters. Please tune in for another edition featuring host Dr. Virginia Collin next Tuesday at 3 p.m. Pacific Time, 6 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Be kind, heal, and grow.